Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. Been busy over the recent weeks recording some great interviews with experts in different commercial property strategies and property finance. And over the coming weeks, we have a few more exciting interviews lined up to cover even more commercial property strategies. So do tune in for those. But for this week, it's going to just be me and you. I'm going to give you a topic that's been asked for quite a lot recently, which is about the PropCo and the OpCo model. As I say, a few people, including Stephen McKenzie, have asked about this, both offline and in the Facebook community group. So I thought I should answer that here. But more on that in a minute. First, I wanted to welcome all of our new listeners. Our download numbers are continuing to rise. So thank you to all our regular listeners. And welcome to those of you who have just joined us. This podcast show is all about providing you with the knowledge and confidence to move from residential investment strategies into the murky world of commercial property investment, where, to be fair, cash flow can be much higher than resi property, and the scope for adding value is much more within your control. For some, commercial property investment is a passive strategy, but for many more, it's an active strategy where we can add value through creativity and in turn build our property portfolio value through the actions and inputs we actually make. So if you're new to the podcast or indeed you need a refresher, take a look at some of the subject matters of previous episodes and listen to those that might suit your potential strategy. Now, I don't know about you and how things are going in your part of the world, but over here in Scotland we've had quite a bit of snow over the last couple of weeks, certainly more than recent years. Plus, there's been more homeschooling and continued COVID-related restrictions, of course. I have to say, the silver lining for me, though, has been that I've actually managed to get out with the touring skis and catch some powder less than 10 miles from my house. I even managed to get my younger son to climb up a few hills with me, skis on our backs and get in some turns. Maybe that's the only stuff I'm going to get, though, this year in terms of skiing. We've also managed to press on with a number of our commercial redevelopment projects and should hopefully soon have the joiners in building out the first phase of our workspace units at our most recent acquisition. It's taken a bit of effort to get to that stage and we don't actually have full building warrant approval yet, so we won't be getting on with any areas that might be subject to changes, but hopefully the paperwork won't be too long now. I do hope things have been going all right for you during these crazy times, of course, and wish you the best of luck with whatever endeavours you're currently working on. So on with today's episode. I'm going to share why I think a PropCo OpCo model works well for us. Now, the usual small print applies here. I'm not an accountant or a professional advisor, so you'll need to seek the right advice for your particular circumstances. As with a lot of things I discuss in the podcast, I like to share what we use and what actually works for us. 
doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you, but I think it's important to just give you or remind you a context of our situation. So we have two different key activities with our endeavours. Firstly, we find and redevelop older properties to suit modern commercial uses. So that's the first piece. And then in the main, those buildings are let out as workspaces to multiple clients, which means there's an operating side to our business too. Now, to start with, we just did all of that activity under one company. But over time, we've developed our model into two completely separate functions. So one business invests in commercial property and is effectively the prop co or the property company. In reality, we actually have more than one prop co, but let's just keep it simple for just now. So you can actually um, build quite a large portfolio, if you wish, through the property company or through multiple property companies. The second business that we have is the operating business. So this is the opco, and it lets the space manages the clients, the space itself, of course, and the facilities and the supplier contracts. It's also where our operating and sales teams sit. And there are lots of good reasons why we organise ourselves in this way, and I'll come on to them in a minute. But it's important to say you need to think about what your end goals are here before leaping off to set up two or more different companies. The most important questions around this are whether you want to invest passively or actively, and what scale you want to achieve. You see, it's perfectly feasible to set up a property company only and to build out space to suit an operating company that then actually either manages the space for you or actually leases the whole space and then sublets to multiple clients. Another simpler way to explain this is care homes. The property could be developed by a property company, but is then let out to a care home operator on a 20-year lease. It might be the landlord has an interest in the operator or none whatsoever. It can be the same for multi-let properties. However, in our example, we decided to be both. I wish I could say we had the vision to do all of this up front and we knew from day one exactly what we were doing, but of course we didn't. However, it's worth pointing out we didn't let that stop us either. It's also perfectly feasible to set up just an operating company take on some space or an agreement with a landlord and sublet space at a higher premium, which in turn gives you the margin. It's worth pointing out that many of the well-known operators in the service office market do just that, including the likes of WeWork and Regis. These guys will take one, two, three stories of 20, 50, 60 storey buildings and they will occupy them and offer a serviced offering but it's in amongst all the others and they don't own the floors, they just lease them and then they sublet them. It's a rent-to-rent model. Right, let's get on to some of the benefits of this structure, some of the reasons why we do it. So the first one is mitigating risk. The main assets are held in that separate property company away from the contracts with suppliers and customers. This means if anything should go wrong, you're not risking the entire ranch. So if there's a problem with a customer or a problem with a supplier in a particular building, everything is not wrapped up in one place. It gives you that separating wall. It ring fences the assets themselves. The second thing is it distances the investment side of the business, again, the property company, from building contractors who might come in and do some work and staff. We aim to have each of our property holding companies with no direct employees, with the exception of maybe admin, where necessary. And at the moment, we have about 25 employees across our businesses, including the restaurant. 
which had at least double what it does just now, obviously due to the pandemic, and all of the team work for either the food and bev operating business or the day-to-day operating business. And we're now carrying out the function of development with a separate entity too, but actually there's very few of any employees in the actual property companies. The third one is you can set up separate SPVs for each development, SPVs being special purpose vehicles, which can mitigate potential contagion across your portfolio should anything go wrong with a specific building. So let me go into that a little bit more. If you have a property company or an envelope, as it were, surrounding one particular development you've taken on, and you then sublet that to, or let that, sorry, to your operating company or indeed another operating company, and then you go and get another building and put that in a separate property company, then those two property companies are quite separate from each other. And if anything should go wrong with one, it won't drag down all of them. The fourth one is potentially you could actually sell shares of the operating business should you have separated out from your main property company. And that could give an incentive for key team members by sharing the company's success without necessarily affecting the actual property holding company. So I haven't done this myself, but I've certainly worked with some colleagues where they have a pretty sizable portfolio and it would be very difficult to get staff involved in that because the buy-in is so high. But actually, by having a separate operating business, they can incentivize those staff by giving them an element of the upside of the success of the operating business without necessarily affecting the property holding company. And at some point, you could even sell the operating company if that was part of your long-term strategy. The fifth one is if you're funding the deal from your SaaS pension and the operating company has a bit of control of the flow of the income because it's separate, effectively the SaaS pension is the, the property company and it's bought the asset and the operating business that you have or the trading business is actually dealing with all the day to day, then the flow of the income goes through the operating business before it goes to the SaaS pension. So it gives you more flexibility for how much you pay up to the SaaS your pension and how much you can actually earn as an income from your SaaS long before retirement age. Allow the operating company to do the trading and bring in the income and then share some of that income up to your SaaS but keep some of it for day-to-day living or other activities you want to do. And that might be different in different countries of course outside the UK but I'm sure the terminology is going to be different but there will be similar schemes wrapped around pensions I'm sure. They just might not be called SaaS. The sixth thing is more about business rates and local property taxes. There are some benefits by having those two companies separate because an operating company is not viewed as a landlord, which means they can potentially access other forms of support and overall they're viewed differently than a passive investor landlord. I've found in the past when I've tried to get a hold of maybe some support or grant support for developing out platforms or staff training or whatever within the landlord or the property company has been quite challenging because the agencies that provide that grant support don't view landlords particularly well but the trading business is a different thing. So you can apply for certain grants and some rates relief where the trading business can access that support to grow the company or indeed its people. So the seventh one I've got here is having a separate operating business means you can collaborate with other landlords. So effectively you can do a JV with someone else 
whereby you jointly invest in the property, for instance, with again a SPV, a special purpose vehicle, and your operating business becomes the tenant or the management company. So if you've already got that up and running, that way you're not involving the rest of your portfolio in the JV, but you're still actually able to operate it and bring your expertise to, to actually manage the property. So if you think about it, if you're holding and operating your buildings through one company, and then you began to manage a JV or even a completely separate building that you're not involved with financially yourself, then you're involving your own assets in the equation if it's not out with your current property business. And of course, if you think about it, your finance partners might have something to say about that because when you're looking... Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of SAS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to wrap a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. SAS can work particularly well with the CMO strategy to generate money both inside and outside of your pension. It goes without saying, I'm not a SAS expert, but let me introduce you to someone that is. Bryn Walker has been advising on SAS pensions for many years and has been a long-term supporter of the CPI network. SAS and commercial property work incredibly well together, but there are many nuances, and Bryn will make sure you don't stray from the right path. Look in the show notes for the partner link and book up a SaaS discovery call with Bryn. Looking at borrowing money for your commercial properties, particularly from traditional sources, they need to know your income and your outgoings. And if your operating business is in there with all those licenses and agreements, it can be a bit more tricky. And actually having it nice and clean and separate with one management fee or lease payment going up to the holding company makes it a little bit more easier for them to understand. So the eighth one is about structure and how that structure will help potential valuations. As you put a single lease in place between the operating company and the holding company, it can actually allow surveyors to value your property differently. Now, to me, it's just paper walls and semantics, but some valuers see it quite differently. In fact, I had one valuation recently for a multi-let property we have, and I thought it was a little bit low. And the severe value gave me the reasons for where he had got to his point. And actually, you know, I didn't really press it because it gave me the valuation I needed to go on to the next project. But certainly compared to previous valuations for other buildings we have, it was a little bit low. So I thought I'd ask him a question. I said, if this property had a lease in place instead of a management contract and the operating company effectively paid a monthly lease to the property company, would that affect your valuation? And the answer was yes. Now, at the end of the day, this is just my opinion, right? But it's still the same flipping property. There's still the same licenses in place. There's still the same customers. It's still the same shape and size. The only thing that's changed is a piece of paper. But to him, it would increase the valuation. So it's just something I'm bearing in mind for the future. So those are the eight kind of upsides that immediately jump to mind. But there is, of course, a downside, as there is to most strategies. It's just whether the downside is less than the upside. So some of the things to think about is you would have two sets of accounts to administer, of course, which does mean you're going to have two accountancy fees and filing fees for a company's house or whatever your country's format is for recording information about companies. There will be two sets of company insurance, excluding, of course, the building insurance, which would still be there anyway, whatever your structure. And a complicated structure may be difficult, or not difficult, but just may make borrowing money slightly more challenging because there's more to explain. 
The fifth one of the disadvantages, you may need to put a lease in place, as I said, between the companies, which would help with evaluation, but it will incur cost. There'll be lawyer fees and possibly land and buildings tax where we are on the value of the actual lease. So yes, once you've set a lease up, you may have to pay some stamp duty or land and buildings tax on that lease. And if you're just starting out, this simply might be too much for your first purchase or two, but it's worth bearing in mind as things grow. Incidentally, um, the other question I do get asked around this subject area, which kind of interlinks, is that of VAT registration. And my simple answer is, if you want to grow to any sort of scale, it's something you really should do. If you're operating space, as the cost will, in the main, have VAT charged on it, and you need to make that recoverable. And I've found most of our clients, 99.9% of them, um, do not have an issue with paying VAT. If, however, you are simply buying a, not VAT, a non-VAT registered building and putting in a single occupant on a long lease, then this structure is simply not needed. So you do need to review your own goals. Are you going to be buying lots of passive investments that are smaller, ticket price, and they're not VAT registered, and you're not necessarily going to redevelop, you're actually just looking at passive income, well then that is not necessarily going to need an operating company sitting in there between the two. So you need to review your own goals to be able to determine whether this is actually a worthwhile exercise. And as I said back at the start, it's been absolutely the right thing to do for our business strategy, but you need to reflect on where you are trying to get to and ask questions of your professional advisors based around your plans. So let's just quickly nip back through those eight points, those advantages of this structure, certainly the ones that we've been enjoying. The first one is the mitigating of risk. The main assets are held in a separate company away from contracts with suppliers and customers. So if anything goes wrong, those assets are ring-fenced. The second one on a similar vein is that it distances the investment side of the business from the building contractors that are going to come in and do work and do the redevelopment, but also the staff. The third one was a separate SPV for each development can basically ring fence each independent business or property business and prevent any potential contagion should anything go wrong in one of those SPVs. The fourth one was it does give you the option of selling shares of the operating business or indeed the entire operating business if you grow tired of it or it's something that you feel you've got a good offer for, but you can continue holding the other assets as the landlord. So the operating side could potentially get sold. And it could give you the ability to incentivize staff by allowing them to have shares in that company, which of course then links company growth to their own personal successes with the company. The fifth one was about SAS, or your pension, if you're investing through your pension into commercial property, is the fact that you would be able to control the flow of the income through your operating company, which then allows you to actually keep some of that, rather than waiting until your retirement before you can actually enjoy some of the income from your SAS. So the fifth, sorry, the sixth one was to do with business rates, local property taxes and grants. Having those two separate businesses distances you from being a landlord, which sometimes makes accessing support for those areas quite difficult. But actually having a separate business, a trading business, will allow you to access some more grants. It certainly helped us out um, in over the piece because we've been able to, for instance, access support for digital support or training 
those sorts of things have been more feasible when we're not a landlord and we've got a trading business. Then the sixth one was about, sorry, the seventh one was about being able to collaborate with other landlords, whether that's through a joint venture where you maybe put some equity in to a particular building, or you may not, but your expertise might be the piece you're putting in. But effectively what you're doing is you're JVing with somebody else. And if you did that in amongst your other properties, it makes it difficult to draw the lines as to where the risk lies, where the assets are and whose they are. Whereas if you have a different vehicle that is set up under whatever parameters you agree for the structure and the ownership of that building, your operating company can still operate the business and the day-to-day -day quite separately from that agreement on the actual equity on the building itself. So it does give you more flexibility there and again mitigates some of the risks associated with that. And then the eighth one was about you may get a higher valuation, oddly, if you wrap your operating trading business into a lease. So it is effectively the customer. Some surveyors have indicated to me certainly that they would value our buildings differently if that was the case. I have to say not every one of them will have the same and there's probably some of you listening to this saying that's complete and utter rubbish. But I'm afraid it's not black and white, it's shades of grey as usual. But it's something to think about. It, it can affect valuation. So it's worth pointing out again, this model will not suit everyone listening and it could be a bit of a sledgehammer to crack on that if you're not planning on scale or you want to scale but just by investing for passive income. So it's important to have those discussions with your professional advisors about that. Now one final thing I want to return to from previous episodes is the subject of conditioning. It's so important to ensure you've become self-aware of your surrounding influences and how they have brought you to the person you are in terms of mindset, current level success, expectation of what's achievable, and by default, what is not achievable in your life. Plus, how people around you now and in early years of your life affect your levels of aspiration and goals. Everybody has an influence on how you see yourself and how you feel you can actually get on in the world and in the world of business. And those around us can heavily influence what we really feel is achievable in life and business. So it's really important to surround ourselves with the right people who encourage us, push us, support us to achieve more and to expect a higher level of success for ourselves. It's by surrounding ourselves with a higher level of expectation that we will push on to new heights that we maybe didn't necessarily previously think were possible. And instead, we may have found ourselves self-sabotaging our efforts. Anybody can relate to that, I'm sure. This is the premise of a good quality mastermind group. They're designed to lift the collective aspiration and knowledge, of course, whilst giving accountability and peer-to-peer -peer support and pressure to focus on attaining higher levels of success. So I want you to consider for a moment, are you serious about your commercial property plans? But keep finding excuses or distractions to put it off until next week or next month or even next year. You see, I believe that right now we're entering a period of growth and opportunity for certain sectors of the commercial property market and it's a really good time to commit to taking action. We have a nine-month commercial property mastermind starting in a few weeks' time and it's designed to give you lots of knowledge, some peer-to-peer -peer learning and support plus accountability, should you need it, to make sure you stick to your plans, to make sure you grasp the opportunity that's being presented to us in the next year or so. 
There will be some one-to-one -one time directly with myself at the start of the monthly mastermind sessions. And sessions will be hosted by myself to help give you knowledge, tips and a sounding board and support you might need to get something done. And it doesn't matter what part of the world you're based, you can still join in on our current programme with people from all around the UK and from much further afield. You know who you are, so thanks for being a part of it. If you're interested in joining the next exciting group of commercial investors on a mastermind, find the link in the show notes and search up more details, including the subject areas we'll cover and some of the tools and assets that will be included in the price. Now, to ensure it is a personal experience and everyone involved gets dedicated time during the mastermind sessions, we do have to limit it to 15 places. It's also by application only, so if you're ready to step up and make that change this year, then fill out the application or get in touch directly. We'll have a talk about it. As soon as the places are gone, by the way, they're gone. There are only 15. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment yet, no problem. You're going to continue getting the weekly podcast show and you can join the community for free through the Facebook group at the usual W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investors. We shall take you to the page. You just then have to click on the join group button. Just make sure you answer the three simple questions you get asked and we'll let you in. So that about wraps it up for this week. Thank you for listening and continuing to support the podcast. I really appreciate all of you, and in particular those of you who have been so kind to leave reviews recently, including the most recent ones on iTunes from Lauren, Shep and Margarita. Every review helps lift the visibility of the show, which in turn adds more people to the community, so we can all learn more about this great industry. So please take a moment, leave a few words about what you get from the podcast on the platform you listen to. It would be great to see those reviews. All the very best for the week ahead, and I look forward to catching up with you again next time for an extra special commercial property investor interview.